0: chapter eight of cradock knoll a tale of the new forest volume one by richard doddridge blackmore this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter eight honours flash in the summer sun as green corn does in the morning then they gleam mature and mellow at the time of reaping they are bagged perhaps by a woman's arm with a cut below the knees set on their butt for a man to sit under while eating his bread and cheese then they wither and are tossed into chaff by a contumelious steam-engine with a leathern strap inflexible craddock's island has gone by and another has succeeded it and this has fallen as most things fall to the sap of perseverance steel tipped with hard self-confidence this island has fallen to the lot of brown baliolensis clayton would not go in for it his pride or rather vanity would not allow him to do so was he going to take cradock's leavings and be a year behind him when he was only two minutes younger however he went in for the Hartford, and what was a great deal more he got it for cradock would not stand and even if he had Perhaps the result would have been the same Viley had made up his mind to win it and worked very hard indeed and so won it very easily Craddock could usually beat him in Greek, but not so often in Latin and Clayton wrote the prettiest most tripping coquettish neat-ankled hendecasyllables that ever whisked roguishly round a corner wondering where Catullus was Ah, light-hearted poet, sensitively sensuous, yet withal deep-hearted, with a vein of golden philosophy and a pensive tenderness. Nowadays we overlook thee. Horace is more fashionable, more suited to a flippant age, because he has no passion. Early on a sunripe evening in the month of June, when the sun was shifting the shadows of the hills and doffed the jaded oxen's yoke, distributing the love-time. From his waning chariot, a forest dell, soft, clear, and calm, was listening to its thrushes, and more than at the throstle's flute or flageolet of the blackbird, oaks and chestnuts pricked their ears at the voice of a gliding maiden. Where the young fern was pluming itself, arching, lifting, ruffling in filigree, light perspective and depth of gothic tracery. Freaked by the nip of fairy fingers tremulous as a coral grove in a crystal undercurrent the shire fronds still nestling home uncertain of the world as yet and coiled like catherine wheels of green where the crane's bill pushed like zedekiah and the suckery reared its sky-blue windmill open for business till eight p m where the violet now was rolled up in the seed-pod like a stylite millipede and the great bindweed in its crenate horn piped and fluted spirally had forgotten the noonday flaunt here and over the nibbled sward where the crisp dew was not risen yet here came wandering the lightest foot that ever passed but shook not the moss bed of the glow-worm under the rigorous oaks, so corded, seamed, and wend with humps of gray, the stately, sleek, mouse-colored beech, the dappled, moss-beridden ash, and the birch-tree pealing silverly beneath the murmuring congress of the sun-proof leaves, and again in the open breaks and alleys where light and shade went see-saw by and through and under all, feeling for and with everyone. Glanced and gleamed and glistened and listened, the loveliest being where all was love, the pet in the nest of nature. Of all the beauty in that sweet dell where the foot of man came scarcely once in a year, of all the largesse of earth and heaven, of all the grace which is nature's gratitude to her heavenly father, there was not one from the lily-bell to the wild rose and the heather sprig fit for a man to put in his bosom and look at amy rosedew it is told of a certain good man's child whose lineage still is cherished that when she was asked by her father half bantering half in earnest to tell him the reason why everybody loved her so she cast down her eyes with a puzzled air then opened them wide as a child does to the sunrise of some great truth father Perhaps it is because I love everybody so Lucan has it in a neater form, amorem quiris amando, and that was Amy Rosedew's secret by herself, undreamed of, lovely because she could not help loving all our God has made, and of all the fair things he has made and pronounced to be very good since sunshine first began to gleam to glow, and to fade away what home has beauty found so bright so rich in varied elegance so playfully receptive of the light shed through creation the light of the maker's smile as a young maiden pure of heart natural true and trusting she came to the brink of a forest pool and looked at herself in the water not that she thought more than she could help of the outward thing called amy but that she wondered how her old favorites craddock and clayton knowle would esteem her face and style of dress now She was turned seventeen Most likely they had seen ever so many girls both at oxford and in london Compared with whom poor amy was but a rustic fidel Just fit to pick sticks in the new forest the crystal mirror gave her back even the shade on her own sweet face which fell from the cloud of that simple thought for she stood where the westering sunshine failed to touch the water but flushed with rich relief of gold the purity of her figure every sapling dappled hazel sloughing birch or glabrous maple glistened with the plumes of light and every leaf was twinkling the columns of the larger trees stood like metal cylinders whereon the level gleam rules a streak and glints away round the rounding Elbows arms and old embracing's backed with a body ground of green laced with sunset's golden bodkin ever shifting every islet Branch and bough and trunk and leaves ruffling and twisting or staunch and ground they seemed but a colonnade and arch for the sun to peep through at the maiden and to tell of her on the calm waters floating, fleeting, shimmering there in a frame of stately summer flags, vivid upon the crystal shade, and twinkling every now and then to the plash of a distant moorhen or the dip of a swallow's wing, lay her graceful image, wondering in soft reply to her play of wonder. She took off her light chip hat and laughed. Lo the courteous picture did the same she offered with a mincing air her little frail of wood strawberries and The shadowy Amy put them back with the prettiest grace ever dreamed of Then she cast the sparkling night of her tresses down the white shoulders and over her breast and The other Amy was looking at her through a ripple of cloudiness with the lissom waist retiring She smoothed her hair like a scarf around her withdrew her chin on the curving neck and bowed the shapely forehead well pleased to see thus the foreshortening undone and the pure bright oval shone as in a glass Then frightened almost at the lustrous depth of her large gray eyes deep fringed with black She thought of things all beyond herself and woke from nature's innocent joy in her own brief luck of beauty to the bashful consciousness the down of a maiden's dreamings bridling next at her mirrored face with a sudden sense of humour all the time she watched the red lips and the glimmer of pearls between them amy she cried now after this don't come to me for a character unless you want one you pretty dear for conceit and self-admiration so saying she tossed her light head at herself and looked round through her flickering cloudlets what did she see what made the dark water flame upon the instant with a richer glow than sunset the delicate cheeks the fair forehead and neck even the pearly slope of the shoulders were flooded with deepest carmine her pride fell flat as a sister's stamen at the touch droops away on the petal then she shrank back into a flowering broom and cowered among the spikelets and dared not move to wipe away the tears she was so mad with. Oh, the wretched abasement earned by a sweet little bit of vanity! How she hated herself and the light and the water, her senseless habit of thinking aloud, above all, her despicable fancy that she was growing. What nonsense! Such a pretty girl thenceforth and forever she felt quite sure she never could look in a glass again unless it were just for a moment to put her hair to rights when she got home to think of my hair all down my neck and the way i had turned in the gathers the poor little thing had been making experiments how she would look in a low-necked dress oh that was the worst thing of all i might have laughed at it but for that and now i am sure i can never even peep at this face again whatever will he think of me and what would my papa say after crying until she began to laugh she resolved to go straight home and confess all her crime to aunt eudoxia john rosedew's maiden sister who had come to live with them when he lost his wife three dreary years agone so amy rolled up her long hair anyhow without a bit of pride in it Shrank away and examined herself to be sure that all was right and after one peep came bravely forth Trying to look as much as possible like her good aunt Doxy Then she walked at her stateliest with the basket of strawberries picked for Papa in one hand and the other tightly Clasped upon the bounding of her heart But her eyes were glancing right or left like a fawn's when a lion has roared and even the youngest trees saw quite well that, however, rigid with misudoxia, the gliding form might be, it was poised for a dart and a hide behind them at every crossing shadow. But fortune favors the brave, she won her own little sally port without the rustle of a blackberry leaf, and thereupon rushed to a hasty and ostrich-like conclusion. She felt quite sure that after all none, but the waters and winds could tell the tale of her little coquetry Beyond all doubt cradock nowell was deep in the richest mental metallurgy Tracing the vein of greek iambics as he did before his beard grew and she never never would call them stupid iambics again Cradock who had seen her but turned away immediately as became a gentleman Did not for the moment know his little amy rosedew a Year and a half had changed her from a stripling jumping girl to a shy and graceful maiden dreadfully afraid of sweethearts She had not been away from knowlhurst throughout that year and a half For her father could not get on without her for more than a month at a time and all that month he fretted But the twins had spent the last summer in Germany with a merry reading or talking party, and their Christmas and Easter vacations were dragged away in London through a strange whim of Sir Cradock Nowell. At least they thought it strange, but there was some reason for it. Young Cradock Nowell was not such a muff as to be lost in Greek scenario nor trimeter acatalectics of truest balance and purest fall could be half so fair to scan not harmony of the golden hair and her nine period daughters round the crystal spring were worth a glance of the mental eye When fortune granted bodily vision of our unconscious Amy But he did not stand there watching mutely as some youths would have done For a moment indeed he forgot himself in the flush of admiration The next moment he remembered that he was a gentleman and he did what a gentleman must have done Whether Marquis or laborer he slipped away through the bushes feeling as if he had done some injury Then the maiden glancing round caught one startled glimpse as Nysia did of the stealthy gyges or diana of action From that one glimpse she knew him though. He was so like his brother But he had failed to recognize the Amy of his boyhood End of chapter 8